Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're beginning a study this evening in looking at the apostles, men who were molded by the Master, and learning principles that we can apply to, to our lives. Understanding the, the challenge in this day and how important it is, and to realize that, that these are men that, that God used greatly, that Christ influenced, and yet they come from much different backgrounds. There's a variety. And so I want to begin this this evening and begin by looking at meeting the Master and the, the occurrences that take place. I've had you turn to John chapter 1. The first part of this gospel is, is known as the prologue. It opens the gospel. It's one of the most eloquent discourses on the deity of Christ that we find in Scripture. It introduces some major theological themes that will be traced through this epistle or this gospel as well. And we're introduced to the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then it expands from there. So that's how this, this gospel starts. The part I want us to consider this evening, though, is, a, is a, really a passage that we might think of rather sub- obscure, even mundane, and especially in the contrast to that great prologue. What we're going to find is five men who meet Jesus. And the accounting of that, these are men from humble backgrounds, and yet what we find is with these, these occurrences, this encounter, there is no mention of these encounters in the first three Gospels. We don't find it in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. One of the names is only found here in the Gospel of John. One of the men isn't named at all, even though we we learn of his meeting of Christ. And so we may wonder, well, why are they recorded? It, It doesn't seem to reach that level of there are certain things that are in all four of the Gospels. There are some that are repeated in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but to find it only here in the Gospel of John. And while these encounters may seem insignificant to us, they were life-changing for these individuals. And realizing when the Lord works in a life, it, it is impactful. Their entire trajectory for life was changed by these encounters, and it impact, impacted their eternal destiny. And one of the things that I want us to see, and we're going to learn from this, is no one follows the Lord who isn't first introduced to him. Nobody becomes a Christian without learning about Christ. And so it's important that we see the opportunities that we have. If you have your Bibles open, I want to begin just in in verse 29. We're not going to read all of these verses as we begin, but I want us to see what's taking place. It, It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, 
but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and remain, he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon him whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, on him this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Now that provides us with some of the context, some of the setting that is taking place. The, the occurrence of what is taking place here with, with John the Baptist is that he, it's on the east side of the Jordan River. It's away from Judea. It's in a place called Beth Arabah or Bethany. We see that back in verse 28. We didn't read that verse, but, but this was where John the Baptist was baptizing. And John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. He's, he's preaching repentance. That is attracting people. Be, you know, repent. The time of the, the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Some responded by confessing their sin and being baptized in the Jordan as an indication of that repentance. The baptism for those baptized by John the Baptist was, was representing their repentance. It was from this group then that some of them started following John. And we're speaking of John the Baptist here, not John who the, the gospel is named after, the apostle. And they became John's disciples. So back in Matthew chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, we read that it was a baptism of in, indicating repentance and that repentance needed to show there had to be the fruit of that repentance. In fact, it says back there that, that if there's not that fruit, it's speaking of that, that tree that isn't bringing forth fruit, it ought to just be cut down and cast into the fire. So it's really what we talked about this morning, that what we believe ought to impact how we behave. That doctrine is going to be seen in practice. But with this preaching, there's come, come an air of anticipation. In fact, John says back in, in the, this gospel, in verse 27, it says, he who is coming after me is preferred before me. And then he said, I'm not even, I'm not even qualified. I don't deserve to unfasten his sandal strap. I'm not worthy of that. So with this, there's this anticipation. Now, we won't take the time this evening, but if you read back in, John, or in Matthew chapter 3, you find Jesus comes to John here to be baptized. And John's comment is, I, I need to be baptized by you. You don't need to be baptized by me. Now, we realize that Jesus did not need to repent, but he was identifying with sinners. And he was fulfilling, completing all that was necessary to be obedient to God in that identification. And so his baptism was identifying with us. And it was at that baptism then that the Spirit descends like a dove. The Father speaks from heaven, this is my Son. And so we have the Trinity there at that baptism. And then following that from Matthew chapter 3 into Matthew chapter 4, it says immediately Jesus was taken into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And Luke tells us that the devil, when the devil left him, then angels came and ministered to Christ. 
Now, all of that is giving us the background. So, so John has recognized who Jesus was at the baptism. Then he's taken into the wilderness, and now he's returning. And so John is in the process of baptizing. And this is what we, we see taking place. And so Jesus returns from being tempted. John is preaching this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we see this taking place. So look with me at verse 35 now. It says, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. And one of the disciples who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And we'll stop there for the moment, but we'll, we'll look at this a minute in a moment. And what we're going to see is how these people come to Christ. What are the ways that they meet the Lord? What are ways that people are introduced to Christ? Because we see this today as well. The first one that we see is through preaching. That's what we, we've just read. John is preaching and sees Jesus coming. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. He said earlier, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Saw that back in verse 29. And God called him. John was a preaching the word with the idea of, of being that voice crying in the wilderness. If you look back at verse 23, it says, they, they, they come to him and said, who are you? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. I think it's important at times that we understand what is the purpose of preaching. And one of the, the purposes is to prepare the hearts for the truth. John was bearing witness to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. This is, this is what the end of Malachi spoke of, that there would be that one that would come. And now we're seeing that John says, I'm that voice. John bore witness him and cried, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. That's verse 15. It's to prepare hearts for the truth. That in proclamation of the word, there is that preparation. It's, it's so that hearts will receive the Lord. The second one is to straighten out thinking. And, and again, as he's saying, well, they're saying, well, who are you? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the world. To understand and, and recognize that the, one of the purposes, one of the aspects of preaching is to help us think biblically. You know, my responsibility as a pastor and in shepherding is, is really, there's a specific area. I mean, what do I shepherd? It's, it's really how we think. You know, I, I'm not sitting in your home saying, you know, don't talk to your spouse that way. You know, don't treat your kids way. Don't watch that pro. No, but I am trying to say, let's look into God's word. How do we apply this? And so that each of us takes it and then says, okay, should I do this? But it, it's to straighten out thinking. It's applying God's word to our personal lives. Uh, the, uh, another one is to proclaim the word and the way of God. And we see John doing that. So he says, who are you that we may give answer to those who sent us? There are some that have come out, they've, they've left Judea, they've left Jerusalem, they've crossed the Jordan. They said, okay, tell us what's going on here. 
And he said, I'm, I'm here to proclaim the word of God and prepare the way for God. And then ultimately, it's to point to Christ. That it's to preach the word. The, the importance of being in season and out of season. It says in, in, in 2 Timothy, Paul is giving this admonition to Timothy at the end of Paul's life. He says, I, I charge you, chapter 4, verse 1 of 2 Timothy, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who is going to judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. That Timothy, I'm giving you this solemn decree. You are to preach the word, and then he goes on and says, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And then he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, and according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap to themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will turn aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. The challenge to preachers, my, my responsibility is to preach the word. Now I've, I've said many times, I've so, told some of you individually, it is a delight to preach the word to people who want to receive it. You know, it's much more fun preaching in season than out of season. But it's not a choice. It's preached regardless. And I think, I think what we see taking place in our culture is there are many places where preaching God's word is out of season. And there are many churches where that takes place. And, and so the importance is we have to be clear in pointing to Christ. You know, one of, the, one of the questions that I try to, one of the grids I try to put the message through is, is the gospel clear to somebody who doesn't know it? I went to a funeral years ago. It was, it was done by a pap- Baptist pastor. He was well-known in that area. And, and he used a lot of Bible terms, and I'm sitting there saying, but you're not explaining the gospel. I know what it means because I've studied it. I understand. But for unsaved people sitting here in this congregation that are here for this funeral, you're not explaining what these terms mean. And, and it, was, it was frustrating. It's when you want to get up and preach. <laughs> It's, it's hard to be a pastor sitting in those services. But, but often I'll run it through the grid of, okay, if, if this is a religious person who's trusting their works, are they hearing clearly that it's only the work of Christ? And, and recognizing this. And so I get concerned when there are pastors like a Joel Osteen who was interviewed several years ago and, and he was pressed to the point where the interviewer said, you don't use the word sin. And he said, well, I, just, I, I think people already know that, that they're wrong. Like, well, that's part of the gospel. John is preaching repent. Repent of what? Of sin. And in this interview, somebody called in, and they, they, they actually called Olstein to task. They said, you sidestepped the question about how a person gets to heaven. And he, they said, you need to be clear. And, and then the caller explained the gospel. Like, well, at least the gospel got out on that program. It wasn't by Olstein, but it was by somebody else. And so the interviewer said to him then, he said, so would you say that a Jew is not going to heaven? And here's what he said. I just think it's wrong when you go around saying you're not going and you're not going and you're not going because that's not exactly my way. Well, it doesn't matter what his way is. It matters what Christ's way is. Jesus said, I am the way. 
And the job of the preacher is to proclaim that. And, and so I, I, I say this because I think it's important to understanding how do people meet the Lord? Well, part of it is through the preaching of the Word and the importance of that. The second thing that we see, though, is it's, it's through a family member. You've got two disciples that are hearing John and they follow Jesus. They, they get no introduction. And, and what we just read in, in, in John 1 is, is John says, Behold the Lamb of God, and they follow Jesus. And, and so Jesus then turns to them and says, what do you seek? Verse 38. And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? Now, I think they probably had other questions. I, I think they probably, when he said, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? I think they probably had a whole list of other questions, but this was the easy one. Well, let's see, let's see where it goes. And, and, and they said, well, where are you staying? He said, come and see. The, the invitation to spend time, to come and be with the Lord. And, and what a great way to share the gospel. Come and see, to, to accept that invitation. And so they, they come, and they spend this time of the, with them. And in w- verse 40, we read, one of them was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, he first found his brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked on him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And so we get the name Peter. But what we find is what Andrew does first is introduce his brother. He's concerned for a family member. His, His first impulse as he's come to Jesus is to now find his brother, somebody that he cares about. And and it's that burden for family. And I think many of us have family members whether immediate or distant, that we are burdened for their salvation. We often get prayer requests as we're meeting and and within our staff and praying, pray for this relative. Pray as we visit or as we talk with this person. But notice what he did. He said, "We, we found the Messiah. This wasn't an argument. Andrew is not trying to shove religion down his brother's throat. He said, I I found the answer. I found the one we've been searching for. I found what I've been looking for. Now, sometimes we we struggle in sharing the gospel with relatives because we've got that relationship and we want to keep it and we know that the gospel can, can cause division and we don't want our personality to be what causes that division. But we have to understand, use that relationship. Ask questions. I'm, I'm concerned. I care. How, how can... And ask those questions because you cannot argue them into a relationship with Christ. We, we can't overpower them with logic or guilt them into salvation. It has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God. And we can invite them. You know, share a tract. Invite them to church. Share a message with them. And most of all, Pray. I still remember a situation when we were in, in Maine and had a man visit on a Sunday in January at the beginning of the year. Came with his, his family and the, the whole family came and, and they, they began coming very consistently. And it wasn't long and I realized this man is unsaved. 
He, he came to me one Sunday after the morning service. He said, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're not always, only saying that all non-Christians aren't going to heaven. You're, you're saying that some that call themselves Christians aren't going to heaven. And I said, well, let's look at what the Bible says. Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter, enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, I have a problem with that. I said, you keep coming. And so he kept coming. Several weeks later, and, and, and we, we were talking, and, and I was giving him things to read, and, and his wife, who was a believer, was praying for him, and she said, he's doing his homework. I had him read through the Gospel of John. I had him read Romans. I'm giving him other books, and he's reading them. She said, he'll go up to his office, and he'll do his homework. But he came to me, and he said, you know, if I'm hearing you right, I thought, here we go. He said, if I'm hearing you right, you're not only saying, you're, you're saying that Jesus is the only way. I said, well, let's look at what the Bible says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I have a problem with that. I said, you keep coming. And he kept coming. And it went on all year. And we would meet, I, I actually put him into, we had different classes in the church that we got him in and he could ask questions. And, and he was talking with a number of our, our folks. He was very open about his uncertainty. And I said, look, you know, I believe what the Bible says, faith comes by hearing the word of God. Keep coming. And it was shortly before Christmas, he came to me one Sunday after the morning service. He said, you know, I'd like to talk with you again. Could you come over to the house? I said, sure, I can come over tomorrow night. And so we set it up and went over and we chatted for a while. He asked a number of other questions. And as we were talking, he made the comment. He said, I know that Jesus is the only way. And I'm, I'm sitting in my chair about to jump. I said, that's it. Because that's been the stumbling block. That was the point. And, and they put their kids to bed. Their boys went to bed. And then we sat at the kitchen table, he and his wife and me, and he trusted the Lord with tears streaming down her face because she had been praying for him for a long time. Don't give up. It's that relationship. Now, she had reached a point where it was just encouraging him, but as he got under the word, and, and to see this, so Jesus, they come, and to see this as, as Jesus comes and says to them, come and see. And now Andrew goes to his brother and says, we found him, I found him, come. And Peter trusts the Lord. It's family reaching family, praying for one another in that area. The third thing that we see in this passage, though, is this by the testimony of a friend. Look at verse 45. It says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom it, there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of of Israel. Here we have the testimony of a friend. Philip finds his friend and says, we found him. It's that same heart impulse of a family member. Compassion and concern for somebody that you care about. 
Now, now I do find it interesting. We have more details listed here about Nathaniel meeting Jesus than any of the others. And do you realize how little we actually know about Nathaniel? In fact, he's only named in, that name is only used in this gospel. He's mentioned six times in the New Testament, five of them right here, and the last one is in John 21, verse 2, when he goes fishing with Peter. Now, we assume that this is the disciple, the apostle Bartholomew that we read of in the other Gospels, but they don't use this name. And notice his objection. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I, I don't think he was being sarcastic, but more of an honest observer. That was not the kind of city that you would expect a man of God to be coming from. And sometimes you have people that they throw up an objection. Well, there's, there's hypocrites in the church. Okay, but come anyway. I, I think it's interesting when we see how, how Philip dealt with him. He didn't try to argue. He just invited him. Now, I, I think that Nathaniel came with an openness. I think that, that his heart was open, and we don't always see that. In, in John chapter 7, in verse 52, you've got others that are coming and, and arguing. And the Jews, therefore, quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man be, be eating the, this flesh? And, and then saying, look, if you search the records, there's no prophet that arises out of Galilee. But they weren't trying to do an honest evaluation. We do find with Nathaniel, that there's an openness. There's an honesty. That, that's not what the others are saying. That's not when they're rejecting, when the authorities reject Christ. They didn't have open hearts. Nathaniel at least comes. And, and we see this, this openness and Jesus talks with him. And he goes from calling him, saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? To saying, Rabbi, just saying, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. You are the Messiah. How did Nathaniel come to Christ? Introduced by a friend. His friend Philip brought him. So where did Philip come from? How did Philip meet Jesus? And what we see is it's really the Lord's intervention. Look at verse 43. I skipped over this so that we could get to Nathaniel because I wanted to come back to it. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. But it's the Lord who finds Philip. There's that direct intervention by Christ that he, he needs to go, he wants to go to Galilee, and he finds Philip. Romans 2 tells us this the goodness of God that brings people to Jesus Christ. That God's mercy draws them. And, and I think it's good for us to realize there are times God works in a unique way to, to reach a person, to get the gospel, the Holy Spirit working in their heart, and then orchestrating circumstances in such a way. I, I've heard of a man who found a gospel track in an, in an airport bathroom and picked it up and began reading it and trusted the Lord. 
number of years ago when I was a youth pastor, we did a, took a mission trip down into to Mexico and the, the missionary that we were working with had told us he was going to work it out to pick us up, bring a bus, pick us up and, and take us down. Well, then he called me and said their bus broke down, they didn't have a good bus, so we had to get there on our own. And I was able to get to El Paso, and then we said, well, how are we going to go the next 200 miles? So we, I, I lined up another missionary who took us to the bus station, and we rode a Mexican bus 200 miles down into Mexico. And you, you can pay for different levels. You know, you can get the level where they have the chickens riding with you and, um, you know, hanging on the roof. And we said, no, we're going for pretty much the top level. And it was a good ride. It was comfortable. It was an air-conditioned bus. And we got there and the missionary said, yeah, but you're not going to be able to get back on that bus. He said, you're just going to have to put a couple people on each bus until you get out of the country. And I said, I, I, I've got teenagers, I've got minors, I'm not doing that. And so we went to the bus station and I, I, I took my translator with me and I said, look, we really enjoyed riding down on your bus, but I have to be guaranteed I'll get everybody on a bus if I'm going to ride back. Well, when they found out how many people we had, they, you know, that's half their bus is already full. So they brought a bus for us. And so we had that bus, and then they sold the rest of the seats. And as we're riding back, there was a girl on our bus that was going from Kansas City, Missouri to El Paso, Texas, and ended up 200 miles down into Mexico. And she's on our bus, and, and she's hearing our young people singing. And as we got talking with her, we found that she had been going to a church in Kansas City, but she didn't really understand English. But she recognized the singing as the same as what she had heard in that church. And one of our sponsors who, who could speak Spanish began talking with her and was able to share the gospel. Now, do you really think it's a coincidence that if somebody going from Kansas City to El Paso ends up 200 miles south in Mexico on our bus that they brought because I... I needed to get our group out of Mexico. I said, that's the Lord's working. To get the gospel to individuals. And so that we would be faithful and trusting the Lord and recognizing he will work and sharing the gospel. This is why we pray for those, those divine opportunities, those gospel encounters. Now, if you come to somebody and they're disinterested, they're impatient or hostile, you know, I'd try to give them a track, try to leave something with them, maybe a verse, maybe that, you know, what we talk about, leaving that pebble in their shoe, that question, that thing that will, will cause them to think later, asking a question. But, but we can't pry their hearts open. But we can drop the seed and, and leave that gospel pebble that will cause them to think, give them the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to work. That faith comes by hearing in a believing way the word of God. I think it's interesting, though, to see as well how these people respond and recognizing the, the change. Notice in verse 35 again that the disciples that are, are, are with John, John says, behold the Lamb of God, verse 36. And so they follow. And, and they're following. And Jesus said, what do you seek? And they said, Rabbi teacher they refer to him as teacher it's respectful but you need more than respect to be saved now this was a respectful term they're 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 disciples of john but now they're following and they say we have found the messiah we have found the christ that's that's what we read in verse 41 because and andrew was one of these 
You see that with Nathaniel in, in verse 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then in verse 49, as he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. It's that point that changes to, to point people to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was preaching repentance. There's a need for that to be the case. And I want to just very quickly, I'm not going to take time and develop this this evening, but show the stages, and we're going to, Lord willing, be looking at this in, in coming weeks of what takes place, the stages of, of their fellowship with Christ, that, that coming to this point of belief. And we see that as, as that goes from that teacher to Messiah, from respect to surrender, and understanding the importance of that. Then we're going to see a growing conviction, and we'll be looking at this as, they, as they're spending time with him, that growing awareness of, of who he is as he begins to unfold his ministry to these men. And then that call to apostleship. It's a unique ministry, and we're going to talk about that. And I, I don't believe we have apostles today and, and talk about why, but what their unique ministry was and then ultimately, after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, as he commissions them, there's ultimately going to be martyrdom. Every one of these, the, we know that Judas commits suicide. He kills himself. He was the son of perdition. But of the other 11, they will be martyrs. Now, John will not die that martyr's death, but he will be greatly persecuted. There will be tremendous persecution and, and in his death, but recognizing this. But these levels of that coming to believe, that growing conviction, that special commissioning for a unique ministry for them, but that willingness to die. And recognizing how this takes place. I want us next week to look at the aspect of the choosing but understand that when they come, there's going to be that uninterrupted attention to his person. A growing awareness of his ministry as it begins to unfold and they ask questions. And, and, and part of it's going to, for them, is going to mean they've got to, it's going to change their life. For some, it will be an abandoning of their occupation. For Matthew, he, he completely leaves as tax collector. For, for the fishermen, not so much, but it's going to make a difference. But what we find is their increased ministry and willingness to hear and grow. And ultimately it comes to that point where they're going to be chosen. And I want to pick that up next week. And we'll see that in Luke chapter 6. And I alluded to that passage this morning. But as he, he calls them and considering what Christ does before calling them. And then what stands out in that call. But I would encourage us. How do people come to know the Lord? Well, it may be family members that we're praying for of sharing the gospel. There have been times where I've, I've sat with family and cousins that don't know the Lord and, and, and you know, one of them, their lifestyle would be such that I, I would not agree with. But I want, I want to share, I want to talk to them because they don't need to change their lifestyle. They need to accept Christ and he will change them. But looking for those opportunities, praying for family. No, through, through a friend, through somebody who shows that care, that, that compassion, that testimony, through, through God's working, pray that God will work. But to understand the, the gospel needs to go forth, that we would be faithful in sharing the word. 
And it may be that God will use us to be one of those divine interventions of somebody else's prayer. So let's pray for those divine opportunities that we too can share the, the word. Let's, let's pray together.